Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you? I am. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm very good. Uh, it's coming up to Christmas now. Are you excited? Are you ready? I actually feel quite Christmassy this year. I've been to two Christmas markets so far. Uh, I've watched Love Actually and the Christmas trees up, so oh. Love Christmas is, is ready to go. Love Actually is the best Christmas film, I think. No, it really is. Uh, so I, 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 Christmas is my favourite time of year. I, I enjoy it immensely. I love the lights. I love the the atmosphere that you get from everything. I love all the shops playing all the crap music. I adore Christmas. This is my time. It's come around so quickly as well. Um, oh, this last year has been a blur. So yeah, uh, look forward to Christmas episodes coming up, guys, uh, whenever they come up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, is- usually around Christmas we tend to record a few in bulk because we have a bit more time. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Definitely try and do that. Um, uh, again, uh, apologies in advance and previously for the delay in episodes. Obviously, we've, we've, we have mentioned it, I think, on the last two where uh, we are so busy at, at work. James's um, master's degree is really ramping up now. So it, it is getting a bit busier for us. Um, so episodes obviously are coming. Um and yeah so just be patient like we genuinely have the best fucking listeners in the world that are so patient um in fact we've had a couple message us recently because uh, spotify wrapped uh for 2021 mm. came out and uh, it turns out for quite a few of you guys we are your number one podcast which is amazing yeah thank you for that i was uh that's what people do was third on mine <laughs> brilliant <laughs> oh, i don't want to listen back to myself to be fair i don't even think that's what people do made my top five <laughs> so it's not even on there i don't i genuinely just don't listen to my own show um no because we edit it we listen back editing so that yeah counts. i've already heard it anything i've said that may be libelous i've already cut out so that's done oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's amazing how much actually makes the cutting room floor yeah um so yeah if you guys uh have been listening to us throughout the year if we have made your year um uh let us know uh drop us a couple of messages it's been really nice to hear from some of you guys especially from some of our friends down under um it's been really good to hear from you guys to let us know that um mm. we've been your favorite we do try pod. to respond to everyone as well yes we do we do try to respond to everyone that we hear from um like in the uk we have a tradition where you generally tip the postman uh for his service over the year um, if you would like to tip, that's what people do <laughs> for services provided over the year. You are more than welcome to head over to our Kofi page where you can donate to the show. <laughs> or if you'd like a bit more, um, uh, what's the word? If you'd like a bit more for your money, you can always head over to the merch store. Like, like I say, it's coming up to Christmas now. So if you'd like that hoodie or that top, or if you'd like a mug that you can put in your work cupboard, like go head to the store. Uh, www.twpd.store uh, and pick up some merch if you'd like a bit more for your money um, yeah so shall we crack on James let's do it alright so this week we are going back to the wild west because it seems to be my favourite time at the moment but unlike our two part series on Wyatt Earp go back and listen uh, we're not hanging around gunslinging outlaws or hardened lawmen no this time we're hanging out with native people living in the southwestern region of what we now call the United States, and one particular woman who is also amongst them, a woman named Olive Oatman. But first, my favourite bit, some context. Now, in the 1820s and 30s, con man Joseph Smith was creating and refining his new religion, Mormonism. 
and it was relatively popular at the time. Now, unless you were from Missouri, uh, so it turns out people from Missouri absolutely hated the Mormons and their bizarre beliefs, so much so that they were frequently subject to violence or chased out of the state. In fact, there was even a Mormon war. Did you know this, James? There was a Mormon war at one point in American a history. Mormon, a war of Mormons? Yeah, Mormons fighting against uh, the state of Missouri or federal uh, Americans. Yeah, it was it was wild. Um, the Mormon history is genuinely fascinating. So if you are interested, I would I would recommend you go look back on Mormon history. Now, a federal order during this Mormon war was put out to run the Mormons out of Missouri or, and this is not a joke, exterminate them, like the Nazis did once. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was the Nazis just keep coming back around, don't they? Never escape them. <laughs> They're always in history. Mormons, Mormons were to be exterminated if they could not be run out of the state. It's madness. Now, because of this, the Mormons were looking for a place where they could live and not be persecuted for their beliefs, which is ironic since America was kind of created as a safe haven for religion. But Joseph Smith had the answer. He proclaimed that the Mormon home was a place called Zion, a city created by the Mormons for the Mormons, where they could live in peace and marry as many women as they liked. I don't know if you know this, but polygamy was a big thing for Mormons back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some documentaries. It just... The blokes have loads of wives. Yes. Which sounds like a great system until... This will get annoying, and all of a sudden you've got loads of wives. <laughs> so, I think there was, like, one dude, I think his name is Brigham Young. I think he ran the Mormons for a time. I think he had, like, 30 wives. That's too many wives. That's too many wives. The dude had two houses. He had a house, like, just himself, and a house where I think all the wives lived. Can you imagine? How would you even organise that? Like, did you just write a timetable? Like, a, a rotor for the week? I don't get it. Because <laughs> I think you have, like, one wife is for this, one wife is for that. It's all a bit, a bit weird. It's very strange. I yeah. Don't know. Now, obviously, obviously, Mormons don't have uh, polygamy anymore. There is a uh, an extremist sect of uh, Mormonism that does still do that, but for the most part, Mormons don't do polygamy um, because it's illegal. Um, is it? Yeah, it's illegal. Polygamy is illegal. Oh, to have actual like licensed marriages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, I mean, like, if yeah, you're like in an open relationship and you want to sleep around that's perfectly fine oh absolutely if you're married to one person and you can sleep with whoever you like and have as many girlfriends as you like but in terms of marriage that's not it's not a oh, thing i didn't know that well there you go well there you go uh, now unfortunately joseph initially wanted to build zion in the one state that hated them the most in missouri and in 1844 when he was murdered spoiler alert a schism along the mormon lines began to happen many people began to claim that they were having prophetic visions from jesus like joseph smith once did many of these offshoots were put down rather quickly but the main mormon following um was the one that was like no like this is we'll put that down fuck off get rid of him kill him if you have to now one survived long enough to make an impact and had the answer to where zion was built and this is where we meet a guy called James C. Brewster. Now, he grew up in the fledgling, fledgling religion and by the age of 10 was visited by the angel Moroni, who is the same angel that visited Joseph Smith back in the day, who led him to the golden plates that would become the Book of Mormon. Uh, 
Now, this drew a lot of critics, but it also brought many a believer, and when Smith died, those believers began to follow Brewster and his interpretation of Mormonism. Brewster claimed that divine revelation had revealed to him that Zion is not the home of the Mormons. It was, in fact, though, in California, in a place called Basan, way out west, and they must go now. Now, these Mormon followers were known as the Brewsterites, and this is where the subject of our episode comes in. Olive Oatman was born in 1837 in Illinois and was one of seven children born into a Mormon family following Brewsterite doctrine. Now, I couldn't find much on Olive's early years, but it's likely she did everything that most young girls of the time did. You know, read the Bible, or in this case, uh, the Book of Mormon. Um, she'd do house chores, maybe she'd learn to sew, maybe she would cook, you know, all the standard stuff that, you know, a girl needs to know um, for this time. Not now. You can do what you like. Yeah, get that I know, in there quickly before we get complaints. Yeah, I need to get there. I know many a woman who cannot do any of these things, and I, I, I do enjoy cooking. It just so happens that my partner is much better at it than I am. So, anyway, <laughs> also, can we just address that most of the you know top chefs in the country in the world are male? I, I don't know if that's a, thing. a hole. I'm digging a hole. <laughs> Now, <laughs> I retract whatever I said. Now, it really isn't until she's around 13 or 14 uh, that we know what Olive is up to. Now, by August of 1850, Olive's parents have decided that they're going to follow Brewster out west to California to find this promised land of Basan. Now, joining a wagon train of around 90 other people, they set off on the Oregon Trail. Now, we've briefly spoke about the Oregon Trail on our Wyatt Earp series, which I recommend you try. But as a summary, it's long, it's tiring, it's mostly walking, and it's very, very dangerous. There's the risk of wild animals getting to you. There's the running out of food. There's catching diseases. Or you could get shot by daddy's gun that just somewhat misfires randomly, which happened a lot more than you'd imagine. And there was the very, very rare case when Native Americans would raid your wagon train. Now, along the way, tempers began to flare and arguments became a daily occurrence, one of which was over the route that they were taking. See, they'd passed through an area known as Genado del Muerto, which is the journey of death, which you probably ought not to go through. Like, if someone told you this area is called the journey of death, I'd probably find another route, no? Yeah, 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 you go for the journey of life. Journey of life, or just go for the easy route. Like, imagine mm. there's just a, like a sign says journey of death, and then just on the right, it just says another sign, easy way, and you'll go for the journey of death. Now, it was obvious why. It was hot, it was dry, it was almost a barren landscape, and the region was decorated with the remains of others who had passed through and not quite made it. Now, after suffering this leg of the journey, they decided to split from the Prophet Brewster. He was no longer trusted as knowing the path to the promised land and half the group split off heading to California a separate way and Olive Oatman's dad, Royce, became a leader of that party. Now the Oatman party carried on the harsh trail uneventfully until they reached a place called Maricopa Wells. They were told that the stretch ahead was dangerous, it was a barren land and it was full of hostile natives but they trundled along, making it to a place called Pima Villages, which was a small outpost. They noticed that they were being watched, so they decided to stay in Pima Villages for a while to wait out any potential danger. 
Now, eventually, all the party opted to stay rather than risk it. Maybe the long, arduous journey and the risks ahead had whipped the religion right out of them, but the Oatmans hadn't been deterred. They were going to find the promised land and live their Mormon fantasy. So, without the safety of numbers, Royce Oatman led his pregnant wife and seven children across the plains on their own. Um, Now, I've mentioned before that attacks by native peoples on white settlers was rare, and there is actually a reason for that. See, natives were normally quite pleasant to settlers, unlike the stories that were being told at the time. Um, Oftentimes, they just wished to trade with them. Uh, Sometimes they helped them navigate the land around them, and this is because the alternative is death, (laughs) simply put. (laughs) Um, they recognised, right, they recognised that um, the US government was already pushing into native lands and what you don't want to do is piss off anyone like that or give them any excuse to wander into your part of the world and bring their way of life into it, if that makes mm. sense. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, they'll be like, listen, I'm not going to antagonise you. You guys have got like a lot more people than us and you guys have got a big standing army. And also you have to understand, right, there's so many different types of tribe and nation of american indian whereas like um the united states you know in quotes was unified so could sort of muster a lot of people together at one point um also it's very important to understand that when we say indians or native american we do tend to lump everyone under the same umbrella in fact as far as as close as i could probably try and think of it in my own little world it would be like saying that everyone in the united kingdom was english which, of course, that's not true. There's actually four You'd different... you anger a lot of people by saying that. Yeah, exactly. You're going to piss off a lot of people. There's four different countries in the United Kingdom, and they all have their unique identity. Uh, and that's the same for native peoples, okay? So take the Iroquois. Uh, people might use the word to mean a tribe when it actually is a confederacy of five or six different native tribes, which people don't seem to understand. Uh, there's in And in that is where you you will find tribes as the Mohawk um, or another one called the Seneca. And that they all make up like this big confederacy called the Iroquois. Uh, then we've got like the Apache, which became a casual term for native peoples. So any Indian was just called Apache. Um, well, it turns out, I think, as far as I could find out, they're actually just a tribe of their own, and they're not really related to many others. The point is, in today's America, there is over 500 recognised tribes by the US states. Like They, they recognise 500 different tribes. Now, there's likely more of them back in Olive Oatman's time, and some of them, unfortunately, were hostile to settlers. But most of them weren't. So, at the time, um, people just sort of saw Indians, Native Americans, as like this savage people that if you ever met one, they'd kill you as soon as they saw you. Which, like I'm saying, obviously, which is why I've spent the last couple of minutes trying to debunk that, that that's not necessarily the case. Um, It's just one of those that every now and then, there would be a rare incident where Native Americans would attack settlers and because those are the ones that get heard of you imagine there's loads of it going around on february 18th 1851 the fourth day of their trek they were approached by a group of around 17 natives thought to be the yavapai people naturally apprehensive and knowing that they were effectively defenseless against these guys royce asked what it was that they wanted 
At first, they said they were looking to trade for tobacco, which was quite common. Hoping to appease the Yavapai and send them on their way, Royce gave them what he could, and they took the tobacco. But then they demanded something else. Then they demanded food. Royce told them that he just about had enough food to feed his family on their journey, and that he didn't really have anything to spare. But unfortunately, this is one of those rare occasions where natives are not so kind to settlers. Royce, his pregnant wife, and four of the Oatman children were clubbed to death by the tribe. Olive, 14, and her younger sister Mary Ann, who was seven, were kidnapped by the tribe. Her family left to rot in the open with her brother Lorenzo, who was 15, who had not quite died in the initial attack, left there to die slowly. Meanwhile, Olive and her sister Mary Ann were being forcibly marched to the native camp. The girls thought they were going to be killed, and there was good reason to suspect that this was going to happen, not least because they just witnessed their family being murdered, but also since settlers who had maybe never seen a native before would have only heard of stories about them, how they were referred to as savages on occasion and how fierce they were in battle, and as mentioned before, attacks on settlers were rare but not unheard of. Now, stories of savage Indians scalping settlers just trying to farm and make an honest living, it's likely that these tales were spun in a way to make the white settler seem like the victim, when oftentimes the white settler is the aggressor and the native is simply just protecting themselves. But because they're not the guys with the media, James and I were having a very extensive conversation before we started recording today about like the power of media because the natives don't necessarily have a newspaper to tell everyone their side of the story all you get is what the white settlers are telling us and they're telling us that native americans are the worst mm. isn't it powerful even though i mean as we've looked at in previous episodes it's probably the other way around let's be honest yes yeah it, it mostly is just white people coming in and being like oh uh I hear you've got gold here and they're like, Yeah, 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 we do, but you know, this is a sacred land to us, so you know, we don't we don't we don't it's go the near stories it. of natives uh, like teaching settlers how to hunt and live off the land and the settlers being like, Oh, this is amazing, thanks so much and then using those skills to then kill the natives. Yeah, I know, it's it's bad, isn't it? The Yavapai people didn't plan on killing the girls, of course. Uh, instead they kept them as slaves to forage for food lug water from streams and collect firewood and oftentimes the girls were beaten when their uh, chores didn't quite meet the same standards of the Yavapai people. Now they never engrossed them into their culture they were just seen as slaves at this point less than and that's sort of how they were treated. Um, but Olive recalled how insulting it felt to watch the natives cooking and eating the food that was taken from their dead family. Um, and saying how like watching them carry on laughing and joking as if the massacre of her family was nothing more than the swatting of a fly i can imagine how mm. fucking irritating and like you just want to like rip their heads off at this point and be like how dare yeah, you sure. like, how dare you just sit there and eat those like tin of beans that my dad was like i don't have enough to give you sorry and you killed them over this tin of beans like oh imagine how hard that is Mm. Now, back at the site of the massacre, 15-year-old Lorenzo, who had been left for dead, was coming too. Around him, he saw the bloody and broken remains of his pregnant mother, his father, and siblings scattered across the ground. 
Now, I can't even begin to imagine how you would feel seeing this and trying to take it all in. Um, he knew he needed help. See, Lorenzo had actually had been partly scalped. Uh, so, like, his head was kind of just open. And he knew, that, yeah, like he knew at this point, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fucking lucky to be alive, but I don't think I'm going to live for very long. I need to get help. Um, so he just like got up and just walked. He was like, I think this is the direction we came from. I'm going to keep going in that same direction and hope that I find someone and they can help me. Um, yeah. And luckily enough, he trekked for days on his own with his scalp just open no food like half beaten uh he could just about see and he made it to a settlement and he was treated for his wounds when he was okay to carry on um they immediately headed back to where uh, his family had been massacred uh and he wanted to bury them he was like listen where they are that's where they're going to get buried this is what's happening like i need to i need to end this i need to finish it and he thinks his entire family's dead um but unfortunately, due to the volcanic rocky ground where they were killed, um, there was just no way of burying them at all. You could not dig into this ground. So instead, they built a cairn, which is what the family was put into, uh, and all these mm. rocks were just sort of placed on top of them. Um, now, Lorenzo, when doing this, actually noticed that two of his sisters were missing. He found out, okay, it's Olive and Mariana are missing. And so convinced himself that they were alive, uh, and was determined to find them one day. But that's if they could survive their time with the Yavapai people. Now, having spent nearly a year with them, Olive and Mary Ann would be forgiven for thinking that this was their life now. Both the girls were adept in learning the language of their captors. They did their best to not antagonise them. However, one day, another tribe came into town. Now, these were the people of the Mojave, and they had come to trade. Now, among other goods, the daughter of the chief, Topeka, saw both Olive and Mary Ann and the state that they were in. She wanted to purchase the white girls. The Yavapai rejected the first offer, but the second offer of two horses, food, blankets and beads proved too tempting an offer, and before they knew it, the girls were walking for days again to another camp with a new tribe unaware of what was in store for them. Now, before I carry on, I'm just trying to like get into the mind of the girls and how they were thinking at this point. Like, you've spent nearly a year with these like nasty tribe that they're not brilliant to you, but I can just imagine, right? And this probably sounds really weird. I can just imagine that you'd want to stay where you were. If if I'm to like sort of try and explain it in the way, the girls' only interaction with native people has been such a horrific ordeal that they probably expected the same treatment, if not worse, from this new Mojave people that have just taken them away. Um, and mm-hmm. at least they'd begun to learn the language of the Yavapai captives they had, so they could maybe somewhat predict the mood at times. Whereas now they're just going to somewhere new where they maybe the language differs a little bit or is a bit of a different dialect and they maybe just don't understand what these guys are about. Maybe they just assume they're the same. I don't know. I just I wonder you think no i'd rather just stay i know i understand this it's shit but i understand it yeah 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 Yeah, i don't know you don't know if you're gonna go to somewhere where you're gonna like be tortured or something for example. no exactly exactly that exactly that you don't know if these guys that are taking you could be fucking worse these guys might be the guys that kill us these guys have not the guys that i've been with i've been with for a year now and they haven't killed me yet so that's a bonus these guys i don't know what they're about now luckily for them 
the Mojave were a more peaceful people. Ooh. Now, I mean, yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, they built that up and it just was like, no, these guys are fine. <laughs> now, immediately, the girls were taken in by the family of the chief. His wife and daughter took a very keen interest in the girls, asking them lots of questions and, car- and, and caring for them. Olive and her sister were no longer slaves here. They were treated kindly. They observed from both tribes that women worked just as hard in the community as men do, and they were expected to do the same. Unable to hunt or deal with the mess that came with preparing animals for food, the girls were given land to cultivate and farm crops on. They were expected to contribute to the community and assimilate into the culture, and they did. They quite took to it. In fact, in time, Olive was given a clan name. She would be called Oach, and she was also given a nickname, which supposedly is a very common thing among the community and showed a level of affection for one another, which is kind of cool. But these nicknames are... They're not... They're not all nice nicknames. It does seem funny enough that the Mojave people understood roasting one another and sarcasm, maybe, <laughs> um, which I find quite funny, um, since Olive's nickname apparently was Spencer. Now, I've tried to do some digging into what this name means, and some sources say it has something to do with unquenchable lust or thirst and others say it has something to do with being barren and unable to have children. So Fucking hell. Yeah, I know. So it's probably like you're taking the mickey out of this one thing uh, and that's your nickname. That's kind of what you're known for. So it's either like... it's, And they're, they're quite nice to her. Like, they're nice to Olive and her sister. They're not horrible, but they've given her this awful nickname. They're like, oh, so you're like Eva. You know, they think she's a bit of a a bit of a, a layabout or so like maybe she lays with a couple of men uh and and she's unable to produce children from the process of doing that so they just assume that she's barren she can't have kids maybe we don't know um but what a name like that's your nickname now you're known for either being a horny devil or you, you can't have kids i mean hey if they're not killing you or treating you badly call me what you want yeah 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 that's fair um now olive would never have biological children in her lifetime so you know it it could be true it might be that she was just unable to have them um but the most striking feature and biggest clue we have to suggest that olive assimilated into the culture was her distinctive chin tattoo uh now whilst i do that james you're going to quickly google on your mobile olive Mm -hmm. oatman and then have a look at her chin tattoo because i'll be honest with you i think it looks really cool. Whoa. Obviously, I've got pictures here that have been colorized. The colorized ones are my favorite. It looks quite like the black and white ones. It looks like she's had some sort of deformity. They look like scars. Yeah. It basically looks like her mouth just extends further than it should. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it is for those cool, obviously. For those obviously listening, this is not good podcast uh, material. Um, So I will describe the tattoo for you. I mean, uh, by all means, have a quick little Google or uh, jump on our uh, social media where you'll see a very well put together picture by myself um, that shows her uh, lovely chin tattoo. Um, Now, there's actually five uh, lines that go straight down from her lip to the bottom of her chin. uh, And on the ends, uh, so on on the lines that on the ends of her mouth, there are like, two triangles on either side and they sort of just point outwards um 
and like I was saying, man, I honestly think it looks really cool and it actually suits her. I mean, it definitely adds character. Yeah, I yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'm sorry to say, Olive Oatman is she's a, a, a she's a looker for her time. I think because most Victorian women and like you know in in and men as well in their pictures they always look so dour and miserable. Um, she's quite harsh looking, but I think after everything she's been through, that's completely fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Apparently, there's a apparently this is true. Most Victorian images, you know why they never smile? It's because the pictures took too bloody long, so they couldn't yeah. hold the smile. <laughs> I, like I say, think it looks really cool. But for the time, white American society would have seen it as a bit of an eyesore. Now, there was a theory that the Oatman sisters were tattooed to show that they were slaves of the Mojave. And if they ran away, people would know who they belonged to. But recent research seems to indicate that this is not the case. It seems that it's actually very common for Mojave women to have facial tattoos. It seems to have been a way uh, to identify one another in the afterlife and giving both Olive and her sister the same tattoos appears to be a sign of affection, hoping that they would be able to join the, join the Mojave in the afterlife, which seems quite nice. So that like um, almost uh, gives credence to this idea that maybe Olive did assimilate into the culture and actually d didn't mind being part of it. I don't know. What it do you does, think, it does James? Seem that so way. Yeah. Maybe there's a bit of um, Stockholm syndrome as well. Oh, possibly. Another th another uh, sort of a bit of evidence, apparently, to as, as to why um, she was comfortable in him is actually the the way the tattoo was done nicely. In terms of it's not it's not done badly. It's that the lines are clean. Everything looks nice and clean. The tattoo's good, and they're saying that obviously a tattoo at this time and uh, in history is not like a, an easy sit down session like we have now it's a harsh thing like it's on your face as well like it would be a bit uncomfortable so if you really don't want it done they think that it would either be half done or it would look really messy but the fact that it looks clean suggests that maybe she was okay with it being done mm. it, it, it does look clean it does look very well done it, it would be a like a is it called stick and poke needle and poke whatever where they call it yeah exactly it would hurt like hell it would hurt, and it's a long, long, long session. <laughs> now, as assimilated as Olive was to the culture, her little sister Mary Ann never really took to it so much. Olive described how her sister yearned to join the better world where her mother and father had gone, which sounds really sad. That's that's not very nice. Like, she's only seven when her parents died, and even like a year or two later, she's like, I want to just join that better world that my mum and dad are in. I don't want to be here. Mm. Um... Now, unfortunately, she would get her wish. Between 1855 and 1856, uh, there was a drought and food was scarce for the community. Olive and Marianne had been with the tribe three or four years at this point. Olive now 17 and Marianne now 10. The tribe did their best to uh, ration out what little food they had and Olive and her sister lived on gruel that was barely enough to sustain them. Now, Olive would go out, wander for days on end, looking for birds' nests filled with eggs. Maybe she'd, like, pull roots from the ground that would be enough to, like, make a stew, but it just wasn't enough. Unfortunately, Mary Ann wouldn't survive. She died of starvation aged 11. Now, local tradition dictated that the dead would be cremated, but the chief's wife pleaded with him on Olive's behalf to let her bury her sister, according to her own traditions out in West which he the chief's wife allowed. sounds fucking. She sounds like a a good a good egg. 
Yeah, so the chief's wife and the chief's daughter are the two that like really kind of took to Olive and uh, her sister. In fact, I think Olive says about the chief's wife as almost being like, you know, the kindest people that she's probably mm. ever met and how nice they were to her. Um, she has nothing but nice things to say about them, which is really nice to hear. Now, with the death of her sister, Olive likely went all in with the tribe. You see, her last contact with her former life was now gone. Bear in mind, she has no idea that her brother Lorenzo survived. So all she knows is it's her and her sister. And now her sister's gone. There's nothing to sort of connect her to the Western world anymore. So you might as well just go all in. Um, The Mojave were her family now. It's not like she didn't have a chance. uh, and, And Sorry, it's not like she didn't have a chance to rejoin her old life either which is really interesting here. So the Mojave on many occasions told Olive that she could go back to her old life at any time, but that they would not be the ones to take her, which sounds harsh, but it's actually a very smart thing from them. And it's, it's simply to protect the tribe. You see... Oh yeah, sure. If they rock up with this white girl... Absolutely. They're going to assume that, that she's been kidnapped. Absolutely. See, if a white settlement saw a group of natives bringing back a white girl after years away wearing traditional gear and a face tattoo, I mean, it's likely there'd be deadly repercussions for the yeah, natives, right? it's not going right? to go down well. No, absolutely not. And bear in mind as well, the native clothing, uh, native uh, traditional gear that they wore, especially for women, um, they never wore anything on the top half. So they just wore like a, some sort of like a skirt or a bottom half just to protect the, the goods downstairs. But they, they, they just wore everything topless. Um, and Olive and her sister become accustomed to doing that as well. So they were just totally fine with it as far as we know. Um, so imagine if she just rocked up and they're like, uh, okay, that's what the fuck have you done to her? <laughs> we're going to mm. kill you all for that. Um, so yeah, um, If Olive wanted to leave, she could do so on her own terms, but she never did. Now, she also had a couple of opportunities to leave with white settlers who came to the camp. You see, a group of white people came to the camp looking to trade. Olive actually hid away to make herself not known to them, which is interesting. And another opportunity arose when around 200 white men came to live around the tribe for a week surveying the land for a railroad to be built olive never once made contact expressing a desire to leave which is interesting now of course we could say that maybe the mojave was saying look uh, look, you're not allowed to leave you're not allowed to go out you're not allowed to interact with them because it protects the tribe olive as well may have decided that for the betterment of the tribe if i was to go and make myself known it could possibly damage all these people that i've lived with for the last couple of years and i don't want to do that or maybe she just thought i don't really want to go back we don't know which one's which, but... Yeah, I just... what life has she got to return to? Exactly. Her life is with the tribe now. Exactly. She has no money. She has no family. She has nothing. Absolutely nothing. At least here, she's built up a life for about three or four years. Now, back to brother Lorenzo, who's now in his early 20s. He's, he's doing all right for himself. He's joined many, many expeditions with explorers and prospectors, hoping to one day come across his sister's or find some morsel of information that could help him find them. I have to give credit to Brother Lorenzo here because even in his early 20s, four or five years along the line, he's like, no, I'm going to keep looking for them. Uh, they're out there somewhere and I'm going to keep looking for them until I find them. And I, I take my hat off Good for him. Persistence. Even, uh, so, right, so Lorenzo went out. He was trying to find as much information as he could. He even asked the governor of California for help 
in the search. Now, they wouldn't help him. They were like, we've got no power to help you, sorry. But that didn't deter him. See, Lorenzo made sure to keep his story um, alive by talking about his sisters wherever he could. He told every single person that would listen about his family and about his sisters, about the, the fact that they're alive and they are somewhere with a native tribe. And of course, his his pers- uh, perspective on natives is going to be like a negative one, of course, because he only has reference to his parents being murdered and his sisters being kidnapped. And obviously, Olive is living a completely different life style like she's seen a different side to you know native peoples which i find interesting um Mm. now eventually enough people knew about the oatman massacre and that two of the girls were still alive surely someone will have come across something and it just so happens that one man did a man named henry grinnell was passing through fort yuma when he heard the story of two girls kidnapped by native peoples being an inquisitive person he asked around he asked so many questions that he eventually came across a native from the yuma nation called francisco grinnell told francisco that the u.s government knew that a native tribe was holding captive an american girl and that they would go to war to find them unless their captors were to free them beforehand all the while Grinnell was pretending to read this from a newspaper to try to trick Francisco into believing that this is fact. <laughs> He's not pretending and just sort of lying to him or whatever. He's like, look, listen, I, I, I've I've seen this in the newspapers that they're saying that they're going to go to war and like murder all of you unless you let this girl go. Um, now, unaware of the ruse and likely frightened of potential repercussions, Francisco told Grinnell that he would be able to secure the girl's safety. Francisco made his way to the Mojave people, telling them what he had learned. The Mojave denied having Olive, claiming that she was not an American, she was from another tribe out far west, you wouldn't know her, she goes to another school. And Francisco pressed the matter. They brought in Olive and allowed her to know what was happening. We don't know if that they we don't know if they asked her what she wanted, but in my opinion, I think she would have stayed if she was given the choice. But it may not have been her choice. The fear of any potential backlash with the whites for having her stay was too great. They settled on a trade of blankets and a white horse. And Olive, after five years away, said her final goodbyes. She visited her sister's grave for one last time and spent the next 20 days travelling to Fort Yuma, where she would be starting a new life once again. Now, just outside the camp, an army officer's wife met her to give her some western clothing since Olive had grown accustomed to the native fashion where women wore nothing on their top half. When she entered the fort, there were cheers from people as if this was a victory of the white man over the natives. Which sounds a bit... It it just feels dirty in a way. Like they're all cheering, oh, we got this white girl back. And all the while, Olive has got her head in her hands and she's crying when she's brought into this fort. Now... uh, we don't know why. We don't know why. Um, but I'll, I'll get to it in a second. Now, it did take a while for Olive to reacclimatize back into Western society. You see, um, funny enough, Olive had been speaking the native language for so long, she'd almost forgotten how to speak English again. Mm. And one woman who befriended Olive claimed that when Olive came into fort crying, and she cried for a lot of the time whilst there, 
She claimed that her sadness came from leaving her Mojave husband and her two sons behind in the camp, which we believe this not to be true, mainly because Mojave historians have stated that if if Olive had married and had children, there would be mixed race kids running around the camp and we'd all know about it. Yeah. Plus, her nickname seems to indicate that she was unable to have children. Remember, she was called Spencer, which we think means that she was, you know, barren um, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we think she was unable to have kids. So she may have been with a Mojave man, uh, but never had children. Um, now, it seems more likely that she was just sad at the life that she'd left. You know, she'd managed to claw together some form of life for her over the last five years and it's now gone and now she has to start all over again from the bottom with no money no home no land no family no nothing that must be really really scary i mean it's not ideal is it she's literally got nothing uh it probably would have been better with her at first to stay with the tribe i think so and i think i i honestly think she might have wanted to stay with them but i think she understood as well that by staying puts them in danger possibly yeah she's got to do what's best for them now when lorenzo heard the story of a white girl being rescued from a native group he believed it immediately to be his sister he met with olive at fort yuma and their reunion made the papers it must have been a bittersweet moment though the excitement of finally finding his sisters that he's been looking for for the last five years to then only find out that one of them had died that must have been hard, you know. He spent the last... He knows they're both alive, and then he meets them, and it's like, well, where's, where's Marianne? Yeah, she died. Ah, oh, fuck. That must have been hard. Now, Olive would spend the next couple of years with brother Lorenzo as she readjusted to Western life when they were approached by a pastor named Royal B. Stratton who wanted to write a book on her experience. She agreed, and they spent the next couple of years touring America where Olive would speak publicly about her experience. The book itself, although being written as close to the time as the events, um, is not one that ought to be treated as gospel. There were many exaggerations and embellishments in the book, added by Pastor Stratton, and not consulted with Olive over. She would, in later life, condemn elements of the book for falsehood, such as the tattoo on her face being a mark of a slave, Maybe Olive wasn't keen on the book, but she knew that it would, you know, make her and her brother enough money to sustain themselves. So I think it's one of those she just kind of put up with it. Mm. Maybe she understood that, you know, I need this. I I do need if I want to get back on track, if I want to have some sort of foothold in this world where money rules, I need I need this. Now, yeah, for her and her brother, um, the proceeds of the book would help them go to university and graduate, which is good, and it would help them set up some sort of life. Lorenzo and Olive would eventually go their separate ways. Lorenzo married and lived the rest of his life with his wife, dying unexpectedly in 1901. Olive would go on to marry a cattleman named John Fairchild. They may have bonded over the fact that John had also suffered the loss of a loved one to a native attack. They would never have biological children, but they would adopt a little girl named Mary Elizabeth, uh, who was named after both of their mothers. They would live out Mm. the rest of their life in Sherman, Texas, where they lived in a nice mansion. Now, despite her wearing a veil and makeup every now and then to cover up her face tattoo, at home, Olive seems to have worn it proudly. 
she kept up the part of the Mojave life um, in that she went to New York to meet with a Mojave leader who was acting as a mediator between the Mojave and the US. They spoke about old times and Olive described her encounter with him as a meeting between friends. Olive always kept a jar of hazelnuts in the kitchen, hazelnuts being a staple food of the Mojave. So it's like she always just kept that there Mm. as maybe a reminder as being like, I always need this. If ever shit goes down, I've always got a jar of hazelnuts. I I quite like that. I quite like that. I think that's really nice. Olive would die in 1903 of a heart attack aged 65. And that's the story of Olive Oatman. That's a mad life she's led. It's crazy. Like, yeah, I find it really fascinating. And and like I say, honestly, go check out the image on our socials. Uh, that's WPD on Instagram. And go look at the picture of her with a distinctive tattoo. Like, imagine, like, just uh, supposedly she's the first white woman in America to have a tattoo. I don't know how they found that out, but apparently that's the fact that she was the first white woman yeah. in America to have a tattoo. Um, and I just like the story behind that tattoo and how, um, what a life she's lived. Yeah. Now, it could have gone very wrong if she stayed with the the first tribe as well and just been a slave absolutely, forever. Absolutely, yeah. She could have been a slave forever and died was one. Instead, she went to another place and she seems to have thrived um, amongst them. Now, um, I find it interesting uh, to think how many films seem to be based loosely on the life of Olive Oatman. Uh, so let's say Dances with Wolves. Have you seen that? I've never seen it, no. I know it's a classic that I should, but no, never have. Oh, it's a classic, yeah. Kevin Costner, American general or whatever, in like he like, joins as natives and lives with the natives for a bit. And I think there is a white woman in there that I think is loosely based on Olive Oatman. Uh, Avatar, you know? Yeah, where, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Obviously, I've seen Avatar. Yeah, yeah. Like Avatar is kind of like that, where he like, joins the natives and he sees a different side to them. Uh, the Last Samurai yeah yeah even though that film just makes no fucking sense these are all the same story do you know what i mean like but but there is a recurring theme i find having looked back on these now um and that theme is if you stop being prejudiced and spend time with and learn about something you don't know you become more sympathetic toward it um is my is my lesson that we ought to learn that is that is true I think yeah, it could be said a lot in, in modern society as well. People are very happy in their way of life and they're not even interested in learning about other people's ways of life. They just assume they're wrong. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, if, if, there, were, if there were moral stories to be taken away from this pod, which very often there isn't, um, it is uh, to not be a dick and just, you know, listen to people that you may never met before. Like, just speak to them. You know, like when I grew up, when I was growing up, and, and James yourself, there was the war in Afghanistan, right? I, at the time, was an army cadet, and all we wanted to do, and this is awful, all I wanted to do as a 15-year-old was join the army so that I could go to Afghanistan and, like, be a part of that war, which is awful because, it's like, nice. like, it's just a 15-year-old. You've no, got, like, no real thoughts and no real opinions on anything. And, like... I grew up with this attitude that, you know, people that are from Afghanistan and the Taliban, that they're just the same. They're all the same. Like, that's what, that, because that's what you're drilled to think as a kid, right? And that's what the, the sort of, the mood was at the time. Now, when I grow up, 
like having had more experience and having met people from Afghanistan and having met people of of a Muslim culture and whatnot and religion and that like and you realize no actually this is not what you're about and that's just, this is not true and like all it takes is like I honestly I do think that like things like racism and homophobia and all that kind of stuff could be ended if these people that have these opinions on them would just meet the people that they're afraid of this, there's a guy, I, I forgive me, I forget his name, but he, he's a black guy in America and he goes to KKK rallies and he just chats to people as oh, right, yeah. friends. And the amount of people that he's got to reconsider their views and everything just by being their friend is fantastic. He's sat with like ex-KKK chiefs who he's now good friends with just because yeah. they've taken the time just to speak to each other. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it's amazing how much of a difference can be made by just sitting down and speaking to those people that you've nothing, you know, nothing about. Mm. Like, and this is the same, like you know, it's the same with the Olive Oatman story. You know, most most American settlers, all they know about uh, natives is that they are savage people that will murder you as soon as see you. And that's what a lot of people today might have an opinion on with like um, people of the Muslim faith, that maybe they're all terrorists and whatnot. And it's like, no, that's not the case. Like, we know many a Muslim that we've worked with at Dungeon. Take Muneer, that we know who's in The Last Pirate Kingdom on Netflix. It was a really sick oh, show. The, like, one of the funniest men I've ever met. Muneer's such a lovely man. Like, he's such a great guy. And and you think, if, if I could get those people that are racist towards like Muslims or whatever or have this opinion about Muslims in general who've, who put them under the same umbrella if I could get you to sit down with Muneer for 10 minutes like you, you, you all your prejudice about them would just change mm, I, I think it's very important on, on a, a smaller scale to get out of your hometown as well Absolutely. because you'll find that hometowns are very much everyone sort of shares the same opinion everything's you you need to get out and experience different people. Like me going to uni, I met people that I'd never fucking meet before. And my viewpoints on the world changed. And I go home now and I speak to people that haven't left. And it's just, I don't want to shit on them because of their views and what have you. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but they haven't experienced the world enough to justify their views. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. Going to university was the best thing I ever done as as a person in terms of growing as a person. I learned so much about different people. You just get um, thrown into this cauldron with so many different people from different cultures, walks of life, international students. It, it's, yeah. it's so important. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, like I say, if there, if there is anything to take away from this, it's go speak to people you don't know. Go speak to those people uh, about cultures that you've, you're totally unaware of and learn. Learn from them. And honestly, your opinion will change. <laughs> it's, it's like the current refugee um, crisis at the minute where obviously there's a big thing of how to stop refugees crossing the english channel a lot of people are just seeing them as people just wanting to get into our country and leech off the state when in reality it's so much deeper than that you need to look at where they've come from why they're coming yeah yeah absolutely. what they're running from it, it's just it's it's fucking it's barbaric that you dehumanize someone to the point of when they drown in the sea it's a news story for a day and nothing more totally and if you just sit down with them for maybe 10 minutes and just ask like why are you doing this and you might hear awful stories about how you know their family have been murdered and they think they're going to be next and they need to get out of this place yeah yeah i find it bizarre yeah. and i also find it's, it's, if these people were white would you be bothered probably not i don't know <laughs> probably not it's yeah there's a lot we can can learn from each yeah. other and it's important I mean, to learn from each other take, if, if we can look back in history a moment where this has happened uh during the second world war or it might be the first one of the world wars you know there's been two um britain took in a lot of belgians 
Like we took in a mm. lot of Belgians who were like running away um, from war. And we took them in and took them into our homes and looked after them and said, listen, you can stay as long as you need to. Like, this is a safe haven for you. And yet, you know, 80 years on, it's happened again. But we don't mm. like them because they're brown. <laughs> it's it's so dumb. It's in, But then in the Second World War, obviously with Kristallnacht and Kinder Transport, we um, took in a lot of Jewish children to yeah. just harbour because the Germans allowed them to escape the country. Yeah. And obviously they weren't persecuted as much as they were in Germany, obviously, but they were still subjected to quite vicious anti-Semitism in this country. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, no, we weren't perfect back then either. But yeah, I find it interesting. Like I said, go out and, you know, meet meet people from different cultures and different faiths and whatnot and just speak to them for five minutes. Obviously, you know, it's very yeah. apparent on the pod about our feelings on religion. It doesn't mean to say that we've not spent time with people of other faiths talking to them and asking questions and whatnot. And I think that's oh, healthy. Oh, no, and if your religion makes you a better person, then power to you. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed our episode on Olive Oatman. I hope it's been insightful. I hope it's encouraged you to maybe look a bit more into uh, old-timey Western America because um, there are some fascinating stories around that era. Um, I would advise I anyone love how say to check it out. Old-timey America was when what hundred years ago. I know, isn't it mad how like <laughs> America's history is just like five minutes for British history? <laughs> yeah, it's I used to work in a building that was built a thousand years ago. Yeah, I mean, America history is British history, I suppose. I I don't see you guys as any different. You're still one of us. No, is that is that too is that weird to say? No. <laughs> yeah, there's cousins across the pond. Cousins. What's going to happen? Obviously, I, I read this thing the other day, a sort of very aside, much aside this, where Meghan Markle cannot become the president if she wanted to because she's married to a royal, and there's like legislation being the royals cannot have anything to do with American government. Oh, very very interesting. So if she, if she, because obviously, if she became president, suddenly the royals are heavily involved in the U.S. government again, and we're just back to square one that's right that's right although i do like that there was there's, there was a little uh thing going around on twitter that saying this was the royals long game to get back america in, in yeah a... <laughs> yeah they planned it from the start planned it from the start <laughs> i just imagine a picture of arsene wenger just being like he's done it again <laughs> <laughs> um oh i love it when we're putting football references that someone in australia is just not gonna get <laughs> uh so yeah uh james do we have any idea what we're talking about on the next episode because are we not going are uh, we, we going christmasy or who was, my, who was my last one guy fawkes what's the date it's i could do something relatively christmasy i don't know i'll have a go was guy fawkes a bad guy or a good guy it depends on what side your fence you're sitting on oh yeah it depends um, on your religion uh no i think he's a bad guy wasn't he i think he's a bad guy so i got a good one yeah well, I'll, I'll try and get someone nice okay because remember james now my next one is a bad person and we're coming up to christmas so um, is it a bad christmas person I'm going to have to try and find a bad Christmas story to tell and just, you know, yeah. Sorry, everyone. I, I will try my best to find a bad Christmas story. All right. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure yeah, it out. Do. Okay, then, guys. Uh, join us. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say next week because that probably is not going to happen. Uh, join us for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try and bulk some episodes, I promise. Uh, join us for the next episode. Uh, we're going to get some, we're going to get festive here. Um, and uh, yeah, make sure you check out all the socials. Make sure you follow us on all the socials, of course. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the show, of course, you can do so. Uh, if you'd like to buy some merch, um, there's also a link to that on our socials. So that's the best place to find us. Uh, keep dropping messages. If you uh, have said hello recently, hi, thank you. Very appreciative. Keep dropping us messages. It's been so cool to hear from you guys. Say Merry Christmas and I'll say it back, I promise. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next one. ta
Thank you.